Coming up on Harvard Chan this week in health, public health, and President Trump. As he wraps up his first week in office, a look at how his administration's policies are affecting health in the U.S. and abroad. Plus, a more detailed picture of gun ownership in America. Our survey was really the first direct estimate of whether people said that they had a background check. The survey that's shedding new light on how Americans are purchasing firearms. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Thursday, January 26th, 2017. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemurum. We'll get to that new research on guns and background checks in a few minutes. But first, we want to take a look back at week one of the Trump administration from a public health perspective. Tom Price, President Trump's nominee for Secretary of Health and Human Services, is expected to be confirmed despite a sometimes contentious confirmation process. Price, a congressman from Georgia, was asked about his personal investments in healthcare companies, and he offered a few details about the future of the Affordable Care Act, which President Trump has promised to repeal and replace. The president signed an executive order telling federal officials to provide relief for consumers, insurers, and health care providers from the costs, penalties, and regulatory burdens of the ACA. It's still not exactly clear what form that relief would take. Meanwhile, during the confirmation process, Price appeared to break ranks with President Trump by rejecting claims that vaccines cause autism. Trump has been criticized for meeting multiple times with vaccine skeptics during the presidential campaign and before taking office. And this week, President Trump also issued an executive order reinstating the so-called abortion gag rule. That's a policy that bars overseas health providers from receiving foreign aid if they discuss abortion as a family planning option. The order freezes funding to non-governmental organizations in foreign countries if they offer abortion counseling or if they advocate for the right to seek abortions in their countries. Critics say it will hinder the ability of women in low- and middle-income countries to receive a range of reproductive health services. The policy dates back to the Reagan administration. It had been repealed in 2009 when President Obama took office. In other news this week, a new study finds that the death rate from cervical cancer may be much higher than previously thought and that a wide racial gap exists. Research from Johns Hopkins University and George Washington University found that black women in the U.S. are dying from cervical cancer at a rate 77% higher than previously thought, while white women are dying at a rate 47% higher. Experts say that the mortality rate among black women is comparable to many developing nations. The new rates do not reflect a spike in actual deaths. Rather, the new estimate excludes women who have had hysterectomies. A hysterectomy almost always removes a woman's cervix, meaning she cannot develop cervical cancer. Researchers say the findings are concerning because cervical cancer is largely preventable when screening guidelines are followed. More Americans are undergoing background checks when buying guns, but millions still don't. That's according to a new survey from researchers at the Harvard Chan School's Injury Control Research Center and Northeastern University. The survey of more than 1,600 gun owners represents the most comprehensive look at how people in America purchase their firearms. It found that 22% of gun owners said they purchased a gun without a background check. That's much lower than the previous estimate of 40% from a survey done in 1994. When a gun buyer undergoes a background check, their name is checked against a database to see if they meet any criteria that disqualify them from owning a gun, such as a felony conviction or having been committed against their will to a psychiatric facility. We spoke about the findings with Deb Ezrael, research director at the Harvard Injury Control Research Center, and Matthew Miller, co-director of the Injury Control Research Center and professor of epidemiology at Northeastern University. Miller explained the key differences between this recent survey and that 1994 survey. Our survey was really the first direct 
estimate of whether people said that they had a background check when they obtained their most recent gun within the previous two-year period. Back in 1994, Phil Cook and Jens Ludwig analyzed a survey that asked a related but different question. The question that was asked in 94 is whether or not you obtained a gun from a federally licensed dealer. Although they, that's generally interpreted as a proxy for having gotten a background check because it was in fact required when you're a federally licensed dealer to do a background check on anyone who is uh, purchasing a gun from you. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the same question. Uh, the other sort of historical piece of information that is helpful in trying to interpret our findings and whether there's been a demonstrable shift or not in the percentage of people getting background checks is that in 1994, there, um, an electronic system with centralized information went into effect. Now, what the 94 survey did is it asked people about guns they had acquired in 92 and 93 before the electronic system went into effect, when all you had to do is ask somebody, are you a felon? You know, are you, are you lawful, a lawful possessor of a gun? They could say yes or no, but there wasn't any vetting beyond that. And so it's plausible that maybe once this central electronic system went into effect, there was a shift. Uh, but the two data points we have, given how poorly gun research is funded in this country, we really only have two data points, one looking in 94 at 92 and 93, and another looking when we did in 2015 at 2014, 2013. Miller says the key findings of this survey go beyond that 22% of Americans who are buying a gun without a background check. Miller and Azrael say that many gun purchases happen online or in private transfers between two people. And what they found is that in states where there are more stringent regulations on these types of sales, gun buyers were twice as likely to undergo a background check. Here's Miller again. It's not that it's 20 or 22 percent, but that when you live in a state where laws regulate the private transfer of guns, far more people, in fact, have background checks. But but also sort of just as a further sort of clarification of what that 22 percent statistic means, it still means millions of people every year are getting guns without background checks. Because in this country, there are about 50, 55 million people who personally own guns. So 22% of people who acquired the, the guns in the last two years, which is about 70 million transfers in the last two years, 22% of them don't have background checks. We're talking about millions and millions of guns. Miller and Azrael say background checks are one area of the gun control debate where there's actually broad consensus among firearm experts and gun owners. According to a recent New York Times survey, gun experts said that requiring all sellers to run background checks is one of the most effective ways to reduce firearm deaths. And 85% of registered voters surveyed by the Times were also in favor of universal background checks. Deb Azrael says that background checks are not a cure-all and won't eliminate illegal gun markets, but she says there are strong arguments in their favor. If a background check makes it marginally more difficult for someone who isn't qualified to possess a gun to get one, you know, sort of economics would suggest that, that the price of that, the price of a gun to someone who isn't qualified to get one goes up in terms of time or in terms of money, and that, at you know, there will be people sort of, you know, theoretically um, and, and probably actually who are thus deterred from getting a firearm. It's not as though by instituting background checks you eliminate the possibility that there are illegal gun markets, but I think it does sort of demonstrate sort of federally or at the state level that gun owners 
have a responsibility, have a, a communal responsibility to assure that the, the, anybody they give a gun to, anybody they sell a gun to, is qualified to possess that gun. It's a sort of a basic sort of standard obligation if, if one wants to have uh, a lethal weapon and to, to give it, you know, to pass it on to someone else. Uh, to me, that's the, that's a significant um, benefit of these sorts of laws in addition to making it marginally harder for unqualified possessors to get a gun. The survey from Azrael and Miller went beyond background checks, and they say it will provide a wealth of new insights into gun ownership in America. Future research will look at the stock of guns in the U.S., as well as storage and theft of firearms, which could have important implications for suicide prevention. That's all for this week's episode. Coming up next week, the new research identifying several key factors that could boost the cognitive development of children. In the meantime, you can always find old episodes of this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. 